Welcome to Time to Pause with your host, Dr. Kimberly Kodaka. This podcast shares inspiring and motivating stories from incredible veterinarians and industry professionals as they successfully multitask common career challenges and discuss topics relevant to the veterinary profession. And now, here's Dr. Kodaka. Hey there, Time to Pause community. This is Kimberly Kodaka. Nice to be with you again. As a reminder, these podcasts are sponsored by Vetopia Inc., a company that supports veterinarians to achieve their ideal professional careers. Today, I have a wonderful guest with me, Dr. Patricia Collins. She was born in New York City, but she grew up in Germany. She went to veterinary school in Munich and graduated in 1988. She has conducted research and a doctoral thesis at Cornell University, and she now practices small animal medicine for the last 25 years. She started a new endeavor in traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, including acupuncture and herbal medicine, and she's presently working on a master's degree for TCVM. She's married, has a greyhound, a cat, and a bird, not surprisingly, the whole menagerie. And it's with great pleasure I welcome today Patricia. Welcome. Hello. How are you, Kim? I am absolutely wonderful. I'm so glad that you agreed to be on the podcast today. I enjoy working with you. I think you've got such a wonderful personality, and I know you're going to have a lot to share with the community today. I'm excited too. Thank you. Great. So you've actually been busy in a variety of ways, as I mentioned in your intro. I just was wondering... To start at the beginning, when it was that you actually knew you wanted to be a veterinarian? Oh, I was actually not one of those little girls that knew it from very, very early on. I was probably in my teens, maybe mid-teens, and I really had developed a very, very strong love of science, biology, especially also biochemistry. I, um, I actually remember clearly really how how to find out how a living body actually works that really provided such a fascinating field for me. And I knew at that point that I really wanted to continue with that way of learning how bodies work. And mm-hmm. then I chose veterinary medicine. Great. Were you one of these kids that had a lot of animals or was always finding something or did you actually actually not? No, no, and that's so funny. Actually not. All I had when I was a young child was a little canary and then we had one cat named Albert, but um, we really never had many pets at all. And I actually didn't find very many animals outside either, but to me it was more, oddly enough, just the scientific aspect of it that I truly loved. Yeah, well, you're a great veterinarian, so I can see your passion. Curious, though, did you ever think about doing human medicine since it was kind of this biology and interest of how the body works? It it never crossed my mind, and it's hard to say why that never happened, but I would never want to know it. Then I love animals too much, so I think much more than people in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, none of us heard of that. <laughs> so what brought you then from uh, Germany to the United States? 
Well, like it said in the bio, I was actually born here, so I'm an American citizen. My parents live here, and I grew up with my grandparents in Germany. So it was a little convoluted situation, but that was one of the reasons that I always had a strong connection to the New York area, the United States, and I would travel back and forth as a child, always for the summer vacations and so on and so forth. Speaking to some veterinarians, do you think there's a difference in the mentality of veterinary school or the profession of veterinary medicine as a second step in Europe, say, compared to the United States? I think there is a distinct difference in the education. Uh, The system is a little bit different in Europe uh, where they have uh, different type of setting for the university, and it is much, much, much more academic. There is not much practical, how do I examine an animal, how do I do surgery, how do I even speak to clients, how do I get a history. All this very practical, I understand in the United States in the last year that veterinary students go through clinics and so on and so forth and really practice being a veterinarian. We don't have that in Germany at all. It's really very academic, very theoretical knowledge, very, very in-depth to the smallest degree, but not much um, practical help to try to get you started and jump right into it. So it's, it's a very different system. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, actually, it's that topic nowadays that might be a little bit in the media and on everybody's mind, because sometimes, you know, they talk about there's the science of veterinary medicine and the art of veterinary medicine. Do you feel like the the art of veterinary medicine, the interacting with colleagues, the business, et cetera, that was something that students or graduating students, certainly in the States, feel a bit unprepared? Is that also the case in Europe, do you think? Yes, and I would say it's probably much more so. It's much more so in Europe, yeah. Wow. Okay, well, we know where we've got to get this podcast to and start helping people. How did you choose whether to go into practice or do research. What was your transition out of veterinary school? Well, initially when I graduated, I had from the very beginning really a, a love for constant learning, and I, I, and I loved going to school. I loved going to vet school. I somewhat didn't want it to end because I just liked doing that. I, I suppose I'm somewhat of an undercover introvert in many ways, and that's why I thought maybe academia and uh, research would be better for me than going out and actually interacting with clients. So I started a research at pharmacology department at the vet school at Cornell, and I did my doctoral thesis at the same time, sort of combining it. And I really was so excited to get in there and do the research, but then I found that it definitely was not for me. I find that the research setting is really very uh, political. You have to have very pointy elbows, I found, at least at that time, um, <laughs> to really look for your grants and doing stuff like that. And it was, it was just, I, I couldn't do it. I, it was not for me at all. So I did that for a year and then decided to live more in the New York metropolitan area. And then it's sort of small animal medicine. It's much more many choices to, uh, to find employment. So that's what I did. Hmm. So funny you should say that because I myself had a similar experience in that 
I did some research and I actually got very interested because we are scientists that I was looking at hormone assays using fecal material in, in tigers actually at the London Zoo and I was quite happy doing that type of work and thought I wanted to do research and so I then moved into the human field of in, implantation and reproduction and things like that and I, I think you often there are two people in the world, I think, being a medical or clinician as opposed to a research scientist, a clinical scientist. And I very quickly realized that anything that's going to take me six months to a year to figure out and fix is way too long for me. I can't deal with that. I either want them dead or alive in 48 to 72 hours. That's kind of my time frame. And so my husband does um, medical research. While I love the, the concept of science and research, the, the time frame was just way, way uh -huh. above me. But um, it is definitely a opportunity or possibility for veterinarians to get into or transition into if they're looking for something different. Right, and so, I think it's a great line of work if you're the right person for it. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about your progression of your career in small animal practice. So I was in a small two-doctor practice when I first started, and I was there for about a year, a year and a half, and it, it just didn't really allow me a lot of growth, and I did not feel that I had a role model to look up to or a mentor or anything like that. So I searched for a, a different animal hospital, and that's when I found my present animal hospital. So I'm there over 25 years now because I found everything I wanted right in that spot mm -hmm. and I stayed. <laughs> can you just comment a little bit on how diverse different hospitals can be and maybe as you found the importance of finding the right clinic for you? Yeah and, and that's definitely key. Uh, at the first place I was at and you know it may work for some people but for me it really was not good. I didn't have anybody to bounce questions off of. I had to really as like the junior veterinarian so to say had to do like everything and even if another person would be there not doing anything they wouldn't really help or support you and not even with questions. So I felt very much thrown into it, left by myself, and um, six months into it, there's a, a new, a even newer veterinarian was hired, and then I was meant to help that person, but I didn't even feel helped myself. So it was a little bit of an awkward situation because there was no uh, support and was very lopsided how the work was done. I mean, mentorship is so important and forming those connections with people you work with or resources even. If they're not going to be the people you work with, maybe classmates, colleagues, other hospitals, specialty hospitals, but you definitely, as a new or recent graduate, need to establish a network that's going to be supportive and encouraging and mentoring to you. And help you really grow too. I was just like sort of swimming and trying not to drown the whole time. So yeah. it, it, wasn't, it wasn't pleasurable at that point. No, absolutely not. You feel totally out of control and you're not practicing the type of medicine uh, you want to be. And also sometimes when you're just trying to keep your head above water, you're not learning. You're not really progressing in your skills. Yeah. You're just kind of running from room to room, getting things done. Yeah. Was it kind of scary when you were choosing to look to leave there? And what type of concerns or considerations did you have? Were you confident that you'd be able to find something better? 
Uh, I think at that point I was. Looking back, it's, it's a long time, but I think some of it would help me is that when you're so young, you say, oh, this is not working. I'm going to just try something else. I'm not really sure if I had like true concerns at that point that I wouldn't find anything. I, I looked at a whole variety of places, but the one where I'm at now, it almost was like very immediately um, there was such a welcoming feel at the front desk at that point. And then the doctors, there were three doctors at the present time. And and it, it, was, it felt very different and just watching them work where everybody would do whatever they could and, and really work together as a team. And that sounds kind of like cheesy at this point already, but it truly was like a team and you would get help and you would get questions answered. It was really a, a very different setting when I could see that and I was so happy to find yeah. that place. It's night and day how you feel with that type of support, the case management and accomplishments that you can have. And yeah, totally, totally night and day. Yeah. It seems like that was a bit of a change for you. Although, like you said, you were young and just kind of said, this isn't for me, I'm moving on. Were there any other opportunities during your career where you felt overwhelmed or burnt out? Yeah, I think it was then just much later, and I would say maybe about five or six years ago, when I was then practicing for 20 plus years. And I think what was uh, concerning me sometimes as patients were getting older, had chronic diseases, maybe end of life type of situations, that there was nothing else that we could do, which is medications or surgery was not an option or not desired. That's when I uh, fell into the integrative therapies like acupuncture mm-hmm. and then the traditional Chinese medicine with uh, herbal medicine and, and all those things. And that really helped me get over that hump when you feel like uh, you cannot help anymore and now what do we do? Can I help everybody now? No, not either. And sometimes, unfortunately, there is nothing else you can do, but I feel I have a few extra little tricks in my box, more items in my toolbox to help those guys. Yeah, that's wonderful. So tell us a little bit more. You then expanded that interest into getting a master's degree? Yeah, so uh, what traditional Chinese medicine is, it's like four um, big sections, one being acupuncture, the other one being the herbal medicine, then another one is food therapy, and the fourth one is Twina, which is a type of um, Chinese medical massage. Once you have all those certifications, you can then, with some other further academic requirements, do a master's thesis in TCBM, or traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, and do a research research project. So I am just getting my research protocol discussed with my committee and hopefully uh, it's going to go through and then I can start the the research. So I'm very excited. Now I just like, um, you know, that's a constant learning thing. I like to just learn things and then I thought a master's degree is maybe kind of cool to have too. So there I am. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, one of the things that we sometimes talk about is, is it important to continually learn or or as the approach as one approaches the career of veterinary medicine I mean we all work like dogs to get into veterinary school and get through veterinary school and then even to get through the first three to five years of veterinary practice and you know it's it's very natural to then have the mentality of ah I've done it I'm there I've succeeded I've I've gotten to the top of the mountain but I think that sometimes I mean, that's a wonderful achievement, so I'm not poo-pooing that, but I think sometimes a stagnancy or a subliminal dissatisfaction can creep in because I also found that 
The one benefit of seeing a lot of cases and being experienced is, you know, you can hone in a little bit more, et cetera. But then on the other hand, probably the amount of surprising things in a, in a week or a month reduce as well. And so the mental challenge and stimulation is not always there. And so I think that finding a way to continually grow or diversify your skills, or bring a new technique to the practice to your clients, or even potentially outside of veterinary medicine, I think that it's, it's part of some of what we are now talking about in the field in terms of work-life balance, but or just not necessarily work-life balance, but maybe just having, having some sort of balance and creating a resilience. Because I think sometimes that sense of accomplishment of learning something new and tackling something new does wonders to your resilience and your sense of self. Yeah, and I think it creates a really nice level of excitement, too. Mm-hmm. Because in a way, if you're doing it for so long, I, I think boredom is probably a very extreme word, but it sort of leads to that a little bit because you most of the time seen it all, you know what's going to happen or you think you do know. So it's really it's good to always stay on top of it. And even regular continuing education, like you were saying, when you come back, you're, you're so excited. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, that, that's what keeps it going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always been a mystery to me how they have to force people to take CE, whereas I'm a sponge. I just, oh, we're going to do this. I got the latest um, techniques for this. So, yeah. You've done a lot, taken advantage of a lot of opportunities and pushed and challenged yourself. And I'm wondering, was this something that was premeditated or did you just kind of institute things as they came to mind or you got exposed? Uh, you mean with the acupuncture specifically? Or? I guess just different how you approached your career. Was it something that was very pre-thought out or again, did you just get that little itch and think, okay, now I've got to work on this, but it just popped up at that moment? I, I think some of it um, was definitely thought out. Now, uh, especially in, in regard to the integrative medicine, one of the doctors that was working at the time when I started working at my present animal hospital actually back then already was tinkering with acupuncture and then got her certification, and that goes back now at least 20 uh, years. So I always was fascinated by it, and I always kept it in sort of the back of my mind until that one day I said, hey, this is exciting exactly what I need. So I think I had it there, but I didn't really have a concrete plan when I would do it, but it was somewhat in my head that that mm-hmm. might be. Yeah, yeah. So were there any aspects of veterinary medicine that you found challenging or you had to kind of sit down and think, okay, this is, this is how I'm going to handle this situation? Yeah. I, I think I had uh, those situations um, more earlier in my career, I mean, it's, it's, I think it always comes down to it that either people cannot afford the care that you're recommending or they don't feel that they want to do it for whatever reasons or that they're unhappy and maybe cranky and angry even or lash out at you. So those situations would make me nervous in the past, would make me upset um, and not enjoy it. But now I sort of have a technique with time on how to deal with it, and I just go and concentrate 100% on the patient and the client and their concerns and listen to them and show true empathy. And I think with that, you make it easier for everybody involved. 
because usually then, you know, there's some mean people in the world, but not so many as we sometimes think there are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think in, in many ways, it's kind of like dealing with animals, right? The rougher you get and the more aggressive and upset you get, the worse they behave. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes by being, I mean, you said certainly showing signs of empathy, good communication, etc. But sometimes I often even feel patience. You know, if you have a hit by car, a dissonant cat, you know, sometimes maybe you don't have as much time. But there's certainly cases where one can practice patience and allowing the client and the animal to come to where you are medically in terms of procedures and medical practice. And so, yes, it can certainly be frustrating when they don't have money or don't want to do something. But I've often had people, if I give them a little bit of patience, they'll come back and say, well, you know what you were talking about? I think I want to do that. I'm going to borrow some money or or all of a sudden they have money. We'll put it on a credit card. But I, I guess, you know, the ins and outs are a little less important as the fact that I think when you're younger, you get more defensive, you get more pushy, you get more vested in it. And I think sometimes if you can sit back, like you said, listen to the the patient and the client and be on the same side of the table and work with them, you don't get that confrontational animosity angst. And I think in the long term, there's more trust and bonding of that client to you and things work together. Yeah, I think that's very well. That rings totally true to me. Right, right. And so what else do you do consciously in your life, in your routine that allows you to continue to thrive in veterinary medicine? I, um, I really feel that I truly love what I do. Do I love every day? No, but I very much try to love every day. I try to enjoy as 100% as possible what I'm doing, when I'm doing it. And that would be when I'm working, I look forward to seeing who I'm seeing, who I'm working with, and what is going on, and how am I there to help. And when I'm off, I do the same thing. So then I concentrate on what I want to do when I'm not working. So I think when you really very consciously concentrate that you're doing what you're doing in the moment and enjoy that and not say, oh, I can't wait for the weekend and I want to be off or, or go away or whatever it is. I think that's what makes the big the biggest difference. And I think that's what allows me to continue working the way I am, that I really am trying to enjoy every moment of whatever it is I'm doing. Good. That's solid advice. I'm wondering, though, because there must be times when either a case pops into your head when you're in a dinner party or just at home having dinner or vice versa. You know, you're on your last appointment of the day and it's a scare cat. There must be times where that principle is harder to execute than others. What do you tell yourself or what do you do that perhaps somebody who isn't as adept at doing that type of behavior might learn from you? In those moments, and you're absolutely right, they do happen, I consciously take a step back and settle myself. And then I know even if I wish I would be able to go home, but now this is going to take three times as long because of the personality of the patient, I still try to do it as best I can 
because my experience has shown me if I don't do that, if I try to rush through it um, and do it haphazardly, I'm not going to be happy later. Then I'm going to be thinking about it. Oh, this wasn't good. I wasn't patient enough. I wasn't nice enough. I wasn't thorough enough. And that would bother me more. I want to finish doing what I'm doing and then be happy afterwards. So in those times when it gets a little hairy, I know, okay, so it's another half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour and a half that I'm there longer, whatever it is. I know, though, when I'm finished with it, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And I'll be pleased with myself, and I don't have to think back that I should have done something differently. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we all could approach things that way, I think that would be positive. And, you know, acknowledging or realizing when you're starting to become unsettled, and even if you have to excuse yourself or go up to the office for a second. I know for me... If I don't take a bit of a break and have a little snack at regular intervals, my stamina drops. Um, so <laughs> and I become a little, a little more, a little less patient. And so I think realizing maybe what you have to do, taking the breaks when you can take a break to sit, to refresh yourself, to go to the bathroom when you do feel yourself, like you said, going, starting to get angst and upset just trying to find techniques to recenter yourself and to balance yourself that's brilliant absolutely brilliant anything else in terms of you know a lot of young people nowadays have self-care routines or hobbies do you have anything like that that you particularly find enjoyable yeah, well, one thing that I've done for a long time is to take very long walks with my dog. And I take just her and me and nobody's talking, and I think that's absolutely beautiful, and I really enjoy that. But something that I have done now in the last six years is I practice Tai Chi. This is a type of a Chinese moving meditation, and I started it uh, to become a better acupuncture practitioner because it sort of centers you and to have that life energy that you're helping with the acupuncture is you would be able to center that in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I found the health benefits, both physical and mentally, that Tai Chi gives me is a most beautiful thing. And I, I think that's one of the reasons, too, why at this point in my life I can actually take the step back, get myself together, yeah. and then move on and do whatever needs to be done. Yeah, because it sounds like what you're doing is you're teaching yourself how to calm down. You know, right. and and um, and to regroup, and you're doing it in a scenario like the Tai Chi class or your garden or wherever you do your Tai Chi, so that you've got that. It's not quite muscle memory, but you've got that routine and habit, so that when you're in the chaotic clinic, you know the procedures and the steps, and you're apt to have more success. Very good. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people who are adamant meditators find that they're able to translate that ability to other work areas in life where they where they need it. Yes. That's yes. great. I think I would be a little remiss if I didn't discuss, um, you were the president of the New York State Veterinary Medical Association, correct? Yes, I was. <laughs> and you didn't give me that on your bio, Miss Miss oh, Flashful <laughs> and humble. I've got to ring your bells. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? Again, that was a, a different um, endeavor, and I thought I would be 
you know, I thought I would be helpful helping the veterinary community on in that forum to support the individual veterinarians and also support the profession with lawmakers in Albany and things like that. And I thought that would be a nice adventure to try to see how something like that works. But for me, it was very, I enjoyed it, but it was also very stressful and difficult because it's rather political and it is... I suppose it was not really what I liked doing it, and mm-hmm. um, I wasn't really happy for the long term. I was excited in the beginning, and I hope I did a fairly good job, but I think it, it really wouldn't be for me. I wouldn't want to do it again. So I felt it was too out in the open. I was too much of a figurehead, maybe, and the attention on me, and I think mm-hmm. I, I sort of like attention on myself, but maybe not that much. Right, that didn't go with your introverted uh, nature. Yeah, not that much. How did you find the process? Admitted earlier that, you know, if things don't get better 72 hours, um, that's kind of like a year for me. I have found in some of the other work that I'm doing, I've applied for some grants and things for uh, a veterinary outreach project I do. And, you know, I got the grant. And I'm like, yes. And it's been a year. Or coming up to a year, and I'm just getting some information and some products, and I'm like, wow, I never knew that this was so slow. So I would imagine laws and changing veterinary industry and culture and things like that would be a very slow process, which might not be suited for everybody. But is it a slow process, or did you feel like it would have an impact? Now, extremely slow, and then it's always uh, one committee to another committee, and you have to have a discussion, and then somebody isn't there, and then it has to be redone again, and then somebody from Albany says something else, and you have to start all the way from scratch. So it's it's that whole process is very, very slow, and you cannot get any quick satisfaction of any kind of quick decisions ever. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I kind of imagine might be going on. But anyway, it's, it's, some people are able to accomplish a lot, and I certainly appreciate all the hard work for people who are able to slug it out and make an impact. I know a lot of colleagues in the women's leadership and a whole bunch of other places. And yeah. so, no, um, as do I. I find, it, I find it very remarkable, and I'm very grateful that those people are doing it. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Before we kind of wrap things up, I was wondering if you might be able to summarize your wonderful years of 25 plus years of veterinary medicine into a few pearls of wisdom that you might think are applicable to veterinarians listening to this podcast. I would like to have everybody try to find something that you truly love to do that uh, you truly want to get up, be excited, and go and do it. We all like to be off. I love vacation. I like not getting up in the morning. But let's say we all have to do some sort of work. Try to find the things you really love to do. And once you have found something, whenever you're doing it, give 100% of yourself when you are doing it. And I feel at that time... You fully immerse yourself in something that you truly love, and I think you will be happiest at that point because with that, it it really allows you to enjoy that present moment. And it's been that phrase is so overused, I 
think, but it still is very, very true that really we only have the present and you need to be enjoying it, whatever it is that you're doing. And I try to stick with that. I don't want to think, oh, I wish it was 8 o'clock and I could go home. No, I want to enjoy the 4.30 appointment because this is what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's very good advice. I think sometimes also <clears throat> I've interviewed somebody uh, once who said that she was very nervous doing dental procedures and so she decided to use her CE to get a little more training and knowledge and now she actually looks forward to dentistry and spending the time doing that and so I think that whereas maybe somebody's gut response was oh no you know hands up throw in the towel when it comes to dentistry there are areas through CE that we can get training on their novelties such as acupuncture or different things that you can bring into the clinic. There are a variety of interests that one can bring that makes the day seem valuable and as they say, you know, make work not feel like work and when you're in the flow of things, you're not really counting the minutes or the, the hours. So that's really good. So, Pat, it's been absolutely a pleasure speaking with you. I've enjoyed our time, and you've provided us with so much information and advice from your experiences. And I thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to pause with us today. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Time to Pause. Join us next time as we continue the conversation with industry leader, Dr. Kimberly Kodaka. Make it a great day.